3: From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. The Women's World Cup kicks off on July 20th in New Zealand and Australia, and the US women's team is defending the title it won back in 2019. The team includes experienced vets like Megan Rapino and Alex Morgan, as well as newcomers like 18-year-old Alyssa Thompson and Trinity Rodman, daughter of NBA star Dennis Rodman. Also, more than a third of the team has a Bay Area connection with five Stanford alums alone making the roster. But the competition's fiercer than ever as women's soccer continues to grow around the world. We'll give you a mini preview of the World Cup and talk about the Bay Area soccer scene, including our new pro club, the Bay FC, which starts play next year. That's all coming up after this news. welcome to forum i'm alexis madrigal of all the american sports moments of the past 25 years few have had the real and symbolic significance of brandy chastain's winning penalty kick back in 1999 but popular as it was in the united states perhaps tens of millions of people watch that match this year fifa expects 1.5 billion viewers among the various platforms Women's soccer has arrived on the world stage and here in the Bay Area with a new pro team on the way, the Bay FC. Though I also want to note, San Jose once had a team called the Cyber Rays, a team that Chastain herself played on. That history was just too good to skip. And I need that merch. In any case, let's talk World Cup. We're joined by Marissa and Jemmy, sports writer with the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome.
1: Hi, thank you.
3: Also joined by Theo Lloyd-Hughes, freelance soccer journalist, covering the NWSL. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. Um, Marissa, let's start with you. There's a lot of energy leading up to this year's Women's World Cup. Can you give us some of the context around this year's tournament, and why it's a really big deal, especially for U.S. fans?
1: yeah I mean the Americans are going for a third consecutive World Cup which has never happened before on the men's or the women's side um the women's national team's kind of in this state of transition right now we all remember 2019 and the impact that team had not only um, on the field but in equity conversations their equal pay fight just it really kind of felt like women's soccer with, was a part of the pop culture like thread. Um, kind of like for the first time that I could remember. I don't remember 1999. <laughs> but, um, you know, like in recent memory, uh, we all know like the famous Megan Rapinoe pose and all of that stuff, um, the impact Alex Morgan has. Um, And this World Cup kind of has a chance to just kind of escalate Um, that, especially globally. We see other countries kind of fighting to be on um, equal footing as well or get to where the women's national team in the States has been. Um, And yeah, a lot of new players on the World Cup roster for 14 new players, some superstars people are going to be really excited about. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of excitement um, locally here in the Bay and just kind of nationally.
3: Mm-hmm. I mean, Theo, you know, Marissa mentioned Alex Morgan, Megan Rapino, these, these players that, you know, became legends and are kind of like iconic athletes in the U.S. Who are the new people that we should be keeping an eye on? So, like, you know, in two weeks, you'll be saying like, oh, man, this player X, what an amazing performance. There's a lot to list,
4: Alexis. I think uh, we could be here all day listing some of the brilliant superstars to be the young guns on this USA team. But a couple to throw out would be Sophia Smith, um, who is the reigning MVP in the National Women's Soccer League and has started this season absolutely on fire, 10 goals and five assists. And she will be playing in her first World Cup. She's 22. She went to Stanford and she has it all. I think she has that fearlessness that something u.s players have done very very well over the past 30 years is, is they're young but they are, are sort of mature once they cross that line once they get on the grass and so you can have all the talent in the world but if you can't keep your head you know you don't go and win world cups but she has that she's sort of a baby-faced assassin she's very sweet off the pitch and then like i said she gets she get, gets on the on, on the pitch She crosses that line and and she's she's brutal she just can beat you anyway go left go right she's quick she's 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 got ingenuity. She sees angles other players don't. And the other ones, you know, you mentioned at the top as well, Trinity Rodman, um, an absolute powerhouse, very, very hardworking player. Loves to hunt the ball. Loves to play off the ball. Doesn't necessarily need the ball to be to be exciting. To be in the game. And, and Alyssa Thompson, who just graduated high school uh, in Los Angeles uh, back in May. She's 18, youngest member on the squad. I think we're going to be hearing about her for decades to come. She she really is such a bright star. And and like you said, it, it's cool to see see the torch being passed in real time I think we're going to see the end of of great careers at this World Cup and we're going to see the beginning of of future legends that's beautiful I also love Sophia Smith being sort of the Steph Curry you know
5: who
3: who we call the baby-faced assassin as, as well here um we would love to hear from you we're talking about women's soccer we're talking about the 2023 World Cup which begins tomorrow what's your favorite women's World Cup memory that's, that's, let's just stop there. What's your favorite Women's World Cup memory? The number is 866 That's eight six six seven three three six seven eight six. Who's a player you're really excited about watching in this year's World Cup? The email is forum at kqed.org and you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, threads, Instagram. We're KQED Forum. Uh, Marissa, just for the locals here, there's an incredible amount of Bay Area representation on the national women's team. Um, Can you walk us through a few of those, you know, where where are the big clumps of players and why are we so good at producing people who go on the national (laughs) team?
1: Yeah, there's uh, quite a few from here. Uh, Sophia Smith, already kind of been hit on, but I think she's one of the most captivating players um, to keep an eye on, period. But she only played two years at Stanford, kind of started this trend of players either leaving college early or we see Alyssa Thompson decommitting and not going to Stanford at all now. Um, So just kind of like her impact on the stage is interesting to me. Uh, Naomi Gurma, who's from San Jose, she went to Stanford, another NWSL first overall pick. Um, there's going to be a lot on her shoulders kind of as the top defender for the women's national team because Becky Sauerbrunn is out, their captain, their Mm -hmm. top defender. Um, So a lot's going to be on Gurma's plate. Um, Alongside her, Alana Cook, who also played at Stanford. Uh, It feels like a ton of Stanford people. Mm -hmm. Um, But then uh, Santa Clara has... Julie Arts as well, kind of making a comeback here after being away from the team for over 600 days um, after she had a kid. Um, And then Sofia who uh, a defender who went to Santa Clara, and she was on the uh, Mexican national team for a bit before trying to make the jump to the the U.S. team. Um, And that was quite a journey for her. It took about three years where she didn't even get a call at all, and now here she is, one of the 23 players on the Mm -hmm. roster. So, um, yeah, there's... There's even more than that, too. I mean, we want to talk about Rapino. She's from Reading, and that's kind of, like, close enough. Um, <laughs> Alex Morgan, the Cal representative. I mean, how much has been and can be said about her and just kind of her impact? And she's going to be the top striker for the U.S., and her role is so important, even kind of in this transitional phase, looking at uh, Smith as a future, potentially. Um, yeah, as to wh- why this area is so good, Um Yeah. I mean, California in general, too, you look at Southern Cal with UCLA and kind of their presence. You look at Angel FC um, in Los Angeles and the NWSL and just the impact they've had on the community there. It's just kind of an area that's really prime for growth. That's why a pro team is coming here. That's why there's been two pro teams in Southern California. The the colleges are good. The high schools are good. um, And now on this national stage, I mean, we've seen, I mean, talked about brandy chastain earlier she went to santa clara too like it's kind of always been a platform um for these top players yeah
3: you know theo i can imagine this sort of mega happy scenario where essentially the newcomers and the vets blend together perfectly and the vets get rest when they need it but provide kind of stability to the squad in you know with their experience and and kind of wisdom but there's also the Other possibility, right? That maybe the the vets kind of break down before the young players are are able to really step into their roles. How do you think the dynamic will work? Like, are we at? Are are there some downside risk to the way this team is
4: built? Absolutely. I think you know, in football and any sport, it's all it's all you know pros and cons. Nothing. You know, there is no such thing as a perfect team. I think you don't have to have the biggest memory in the world to think back to the Olympics two years ago when head coach Vlaiko and Anonoski took a lot of veterans um, and it didn't work out. And you saw the sort of haggard, tired mental stress that team had on them, probably from coming in as favorites, from being, you know, perennial champions from the COVID pandemic at that point, still ravaging the world. And those veterans look like they did not want to be on the national team anymore. And, and maybe we'll hear more about why that tournament didn't work out. But a lot of those players are returning. You know, the, the big names, your Megan Rapinos, your Alex Morgans, Kelly O'Hara is probably a surprise inclusion uh, on that group of veterans who, you know, while we're talking about them, uh, Julie Ertz, Alyssa Nair, Megan Rapino, Alex Morgan, and Kelly O'Hara, I believe, if they, if they win this one, they'll, they would have won three in a row, three all time, which I think makes them the first soccer players since Pele in 1970 to win three World Cups in their careers. So that's a fun thing to look out for, for those veterans. Um, but like you said, you know, the cocktail isn't perfect. And I also think, you know, for the US public, for those watching at home, and for Vlatko Hengenossi, the head coach, you got to embrace the youth at some point. I do think, you know, Megan will offer a lot off the pitch, but there is going to be a time in this world cup maybe in these matches next week where i, I think you know your trinity rodman's your Alyssa thompson's are going to be a better option and naomi gummers jumped the gun a bit because of becky Sauerbrunn, the captain's injury but she was already the best defender in the nw cell and, and and she's ready she you know she is ready mm. you know there's also a
3: bit of a question at goalkeeper people may remember hope solo total legend um who's back there now and, and who, who do we expect to play marissa
1: uh, yeah, there's three goaltenders for uh, U.S. women's national team. Um, none from <laughs> the Bay Area this time around. But yeah, there's kind of been a little bit of a question mark about what what it's going to look like between I mean, Alyssa Nair is going to be the starter, but then Aubrey Kingsbury was kind of a little bit of a surprise and then Casey Murphy's there as well. Uh, Nair's going to be the starter but yeah it's kind of been interesting to see where the national team has kind of gone the past um few world cups without hope solo because obviously you look at solo and just like her impact culturally and just um what a name she was um Mm -hmm. for better or for worse just kind of um in in the culture um Yeah, it's going to be interesting, too, because we talk about how strong the women's national team has been defensively with Sauerbrunn back there, and now it's going to be a lot more inexperienced in front of Nair um, with Gurma and Cook, and people are excited about Gurma and what they have on that back line, um, but still it's pretty inexperienced. I mean, Alana Cook, too, Like we think she's going to start, but you look at the send-off game um, in San Jose, and she had a pretty big blunder, and Wales didn't uh, take advantage of that, but Against a better team, that easily could have happened, and you kind of just wonder if in net they're prepared for what life is going to look like without a secure of a back line. Um, I think that's a question that as they advance out of group play and against better teams, we're really going to kind of see what they really do have in net in a way that we haven't really seen in a few years.
3: Yeah so interesting we are talking about women's soccer trying to get you everything you need to know before the 2023 world cup begins tomorrow joined by marissa and jamie sports writer with the san francisco chronicle and theo lloyd hughes freelance soccer journalist focusing on the nwsl Gonna to take to some of your calls. What are your predictions for this tournament? Who do you think will prevail? Who are you looking forward to seeing? The number is 866 733 6786. Forum at KQED.org and KQED Forum on all the social things. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned.
0: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera.
3: Welcome back to Forum. We're talking about women's soccer, getting you everything you need to know before the 2023 World Cup begins tomorrow. Joined by Theo Lloyd-Hughes, freelance soccer journalist focusing on the NWSL. Marissa Njemi, sports writer with The Chronicle. We want to add another voice to our discussion, Danielle Slayton, co-founder of Bay FC, also a TV soccer analyst and a former member of the U.S. women's soccer team. Welcome, Danielle.
7: Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah,
3: so glad to have you. Um, let's bring in our first caller. Let's bring in uh, Layla in Newark.
2: Hello. Thank you so much for hosting this program. It's, it's so amazing to see how far women's soccer has advanced. I used to play growing up and um, I, I love that you started with the comment about Brandi Chastain's, uh, you know, a penalty shot in the 1999 women's final game. I think, What's so fascinating about that game um, in looking at the women's team now is, you know, Brianna Scurry was the goalkeeper who blocked a very important shot during those penalty kicks. And, you know, that block was so consequential um, for the women's team to be able to win that game. But, you know, as an African-American woman, I think, you know, her contributions were oftentimes overlooked. And it's so amazing to see how diverse the sport has become and our women's national team has become. And... You know how more representative it is of you know the types of women who are playing soccer now. So that to me, as someone, you know, as a woman of color who played the sport, uh, is a beautiful thing to see. So I'm excited, you know, for this year's national team. And thank you again, yeah, uh, for, for hosting a very important program.
3: Hey, Layla, thank you so much. You know, um, Daniel Slayton, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Um, yeah. You know, as, as someone who's been on the national team, sure.
7: Yeah. Well, I actually, I, I'm. I'm grateful that you brought that up because I actually was with bride just a couple of weeks ago in Washington, DC. And, um, she and I talked a little bit about this and just the fact that, you know, she maybe didn't get all the recognition and credit she deserved back in 1999. Um, and I, I, she said this explicitly to me, she goes, you know what, I kind of feel like I'm getting my due now. Like, and she just Uh wrote a book not too long ago called my greatest save. She's really like, come into her, her own and blossomed and she's doing TV and she's, it was at the SP's and she's just kicking butt. So, um, <laughs> I'm really happy to not only see the progress when it comes to having a more diverse uh, look to our women's national team. I think the progress has been tremendous over the last 20 years. And I'm also really happy to see one of my teammates start to get a little bit of the love that she probably should have gotten 20 years ago.
3: Yeah, so interesting. Yeah, and why don't we, you know, while, while we're talking, why don't we talk a little bit about what you're doing with this new soccer club? Um, the merch is incredible. First of all, <laughs> I think that's the thing that people people note, and I say that even uh, you know as a fan of the the Oakland Roots, who also have you know an amazing merch. Um, but talk about the the actual soccer club and and what you're hoping to build there.
7: Yeah, I mean we're we're so proud to build this this soccer club. I think uh, especially for me, um, and then my other co-founders, Brandy Chastain, Ali Wagner, and Leslie Osborne, who have deep ties and roots to. Uh, to the Bay Area. I mean, I was born here in San Jose. I grew up playing soccer with Allie since I was 10. We watched Brandy Chastain at Santa Clara and on the national team as kids. And then Leslie joined us uh, when she was a freshman at Santa Clara University. So we have deep ties to this place and we're really grateful to, to, to bring it here. I think you know, when we think about this club and what we want to do, we know that soccer gave so much to us. And so giving that back to our community and our players uh, and our community really being at the heart of everything we're building um, is, is our mission and is our goal. And the soccer is going to be phenomenal. But it's really about the people um, at the end of the day. And that's central to everything we do. It was central when we were thinking about our brand and our merch, for sure. Um <laughs> Bringing in, you know, I, I some of the iconic images of the Golden Gate Bridge and the colors and the fog and all of that. Credit to um, Goodby, who was helpful um, with us or walked this journey with us mm-hmm. in developing this brand. And uh, uh, we're really proud of where we are so far, but we still got a long way to go.
3: So as I understand it, right, we don't know exactly where, where what town specifically the Bay are going to call home. Obviously, you know, it will be um, the, the soccer team of the, the Bay area playing in this, in this league. Um, can you tell us a little more about kind of where we are in this process of kind of setting up a team, you know, as part of this expansion of the NWSL?
7: Yeah. Alexis, we're running with our hair on fire and we will continue <laughs> to do so from now until March. Um, but we're, we're in the early stages of really hiring out our, our C level, our leadership, um, team we've brought on, um, uh brady stewart as our ceo we just announced yesterday our coo jen malay she's coming over from the warriors and she is fantastic and i cannot wait to um to to get to work with her more. more. We have Lucy Rushton, who has come on as our general manager. Um, And so Lucy's really leading up the soccer side. She's going to be in charge of getting a coach. She's in charge of helping to build out our roster. And so obviously she's got a ton of work to do and a lot of soccer to watch, Mm -hmm. given the World Cup is uh, right around the corner starting tomorrow. And then we're going to have an announcement soon, very, very soon. Like, Stay tuned. I can't say how close, but really, really soon um, (laughs) about our our location and our stadium. And then Jen and Brady will continue to help us get to work and making sure that we sell out tickets and get season ticket holders and all that jazz, too.
3: That's cool. And so that'll be. Yeah, we're talking like people will be able to buy tickets like in the coming months to the 2024 season. Right.
7: Yes, people will absolutely be able to buy tickets, but you can actually already put down a season ticket deposit um, to make sure you're kind of first in line, if you will. And that you can do that at bayfc.com. You can also get some merch there, too. Yeah. So I'll stop shopping, <laughs> one-stop shopping at bayfc.com.
3: Um, let's return a little bit to the World Cup because we've got some questions from listeners. And I think this will help us uh, set some things up. Let's go to uh, Marissa Holly writes in to say, My daughter is Vietnamese-born, and we're both American. We don't want the United States to lose its first match, which is against Vietnam, but we want Vietnam to win. Who do we root for? Please tell us what to expect in that match.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I can't help you with who to root for? Well, that's, that's in your heart. Um, but yeah, no, Vietnam's one of the, the newer teams in the World Cup. They're making their first one ever. Um, there, there's kind of been a lot of talk about them being maybe a little bit of a, a surprise as far as how competitive they're going to be. Um, I fully expect the women's national team in the States here to get through group play, but I don't think it's necessarily going to be the romp that's been projected in Game 1, just because um, the U.S. team's still finding itself. We saw in the send-off game against Wales, it took them a little bit to get going, especially offensively. They're still kind of... Um, working on making that third decision um, on offense. Um, Vladko, the head coach, is still kind of getting his lineup in order. We don't know how healthy Rose Lavelle is going to be. We don't really know um, Rapino's full availability. Um, Julie Ertz as well. We don't know how caught up she is. So I think this game, the first game, is going to be uh, more questions being answered by the women's national team here. Um, and yeah, I mean, Vietnam's one of those teams, um, kind of like Portugal, kind of like some of these other um, up and coming teams here that people are kind of excited about to see long term. Mm-hmm. It's the first time we're seeing a Women's World Cup with 32 teams. And kind of the beauty of that is getting to see teams that we traditionally haven't gotten to watch.
3: Yeah. Let's bring in another caller. Uh, we've got uh, Jaime in San Francisco. Welcome. Uh,
1: good morning.
8: Thanks for taking my call. I'm excited. I'm a soccer fan. I've been soccer fan my whole life. I follow mainly the men. I've been to 10 World Cups, and I'm excited because I'm traveling to New Zealand and Australia to uh, watch uh, this tournament. Wow, that's awesome. I started to appreciate the women's uh, soccer when uh, two players, Marta from Brazil and Mia Hamm from the U.S. These were the first two players that impacted me, and uh, and started to appreciate how how well uh, uh, women can play soccer. And they're tough, they're good, yeah. and and so that's why I'm traveling with my family. Uh, I'm more for the U.S. I like the trip, but I know the Europeans have made a lot of uh, progress, and the competition is going to be really, really, really exciting. It's uh-huh. I, I can't wait. It's it's it's, I'm excited as much as uh, you guys are, and uh, <laughs> that, that's my comment. I, hey, Jaime, thank I you want so to much. I appreciate
3: it. Yeah. Uh, so appreciate that, and man, have fun at the, the final in Zealand. That's going to be awesome. Um, you know, uh, Theo, let's, let's come back to you, and, and then Daniel, I'm going to come to you on this one too. Who do you see as the U.S.'s biggest uh, competition? Is it, is it the Europeans uh, of different, different countries?
4: Yeah, I think there's. It's a really open World Cup. I think that's what we're all looking forward to as as media, as fans, as as as, as lovers of competition, as lovers of the World Cup, and it, it's going to be a wide open field, and that's really exciting. I think the the top of that list will be your Germany, England, uh, a revitalized France with a new coach. Uh, I think people are getting excited about Sweden, sort of always the bridesmaid, never the bride Sweden. Um, they always played the US very well as as well. So they're, they're going to be ones to watch. But I think Brazil, you know, like the listener said, this is this is Marta, who, you know, the GOAT, as as people like to call her, the greatest of all time. This is going to be her last tournament. And that emotion, that little kind of je ne sais quoi, um, goes a long way. And it goes a long way, not just for herself and her legacy, but the younger players she's playing with look up to her and they grew up watching her and now they're standing alongside her. And I think, you know, it's, it's the little things. It's that X factor. You watch Brazil off the pitch, the way they talk to each other, the way they kind of hang out with each other, the way they, they have that flair. And and they really believe. And I think that Brazil team is going to be really special And and kind of sticking with kind of the good vibes nations. Australia, I think are going to have a fantastic tournament. They really disappointed in 2019. They've got the best forward in the world or maybe if you like the most reliable goal scoring forward in the world Sam Sam Kerr and you know the the country's going to get behind them. 75,000 people are going to be there tomorrow hmm. night. You know, they are ones to watch because you don't you don't want that smoke. They are going to they're going to come for you and it's going to be loud and it's going to be passionate. And uh, yeah, I, I've got really good vibes for Australia and Brazil, but yeah. Germany and England obviously you know, probably what most people will say for the, for the challenges. Yeah. Danielle, what about you? Is that, uh, is that your uh, evaluation of the field too?
7: Yeah, he's I mean Theo stole my thunder. <laughs> but for sure. I mean, I think to, to piggyback on Brazil, um, Brazil, the the head coach for Brazil actually is former US women's national team coach, Pia Sundhaga, who is of Swedish descent, played for Sweden as well. And I think the balance that she brings, that grounding and defensiveness with the Brazilian flair is maybe the exact right thing that Brazil has been missing. Um mm. so certainly somebody to keep an eye on. Australia in Australia. I have the question, you know, will being at home be more pressure or will it be the boost that they need? Um, There is nothing like, I've been so fortunate to call two previous World Cups. There is nothing like being in the stadium and hearing the national anthem when the home country is there. I mean, when we were in France, all the flags were flying as the French national um, anthem was going. In Canada, it was the same to hear a whole stadium singing. And so, like, I have goosebumps right now thinking about what that's (laughs) going to be tomorrow for Australia. Um, But certainly, I mean, to me, the two favorites are England and Germany. They were the two finalists in the Euros. Uh, I think Germany... If Alexandra Pop, their lead forward, their their striker number nine, can stay healthy, um, she's fantastic. She reminds me a little bit of Abby Wambach. Her aerial threat is massive. Um, She has this swagger and this intensity to her, certainly. Um, But England beat them in the Euros. uh, And the question for England is, are they healthy? Can they stay healthy? A little bit like the United States. What exactly is that lineup going to be? But they certainly are, are formidable and a team to watch. Yeah.
3: Who are you uh, keeping your eye on on the U.S. team? Uh, we talked a little earlier about some of the younger players versus, you know, some of our, our more experienced veterans who have, you know, have a ton of caps. Like, who 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 are you watching on the U.S. team to kind of try and figure out, OK, what's this team's identity melding the, the kind of two timelines?
7: Yeah. Um, for me, I think there's two, I'll I'll pick a, a veteran player and a and a younger player. For me, Julie Ertz is gonna be massive. Um, I think she plays that defensive center mid role. And so she really is responsible for breaking up any plays or counterattacks for the opponent uh, and also helping in build up play. She obviously has been away for quite a while because she gave birth to her son Madden and now is just kind of starting to get worked back in. Um, so I'll be curious to see if she plays in that midfield role um or maybe if they move her back even into the back line which is where she started her career where she played in the Mm. 2015 World Cup at center back just given the fact that Becky Sauerbrunn the captain for so long did not make the roster so there's a lot more youth along the back line she could be brought in there to um to add some security defensively and then for me Honestly, Trinity Rodman, keep an eye on her. I thought she had a fantastic game uh, against Wales here in San Jose in the send-off match. I thought she came into the game and made all of the difference. She's young. She's raw. Uh, she's competitive. She has a little bit of those, you know, attitudes that her father, Dennis Rodman, had. Um, <laughs> but she's an up-and-comer. She's getting better and better and better. And I think the more opportunities she gets to play, the more she's going to find herself and the Im- bigger impact she can continue yeah. to have.
3: We're talking about women's soccer, trying to get you everything you need to know before the 2023 World Cup begins tomorrow. Joined by Danielle Slayton, co-founder of Bay FC, also TV soccer analyst, reporter, former member of the U.S. women's uh, national team. Also joined by Theo Lloyd-Hughes, freelance soccer journalist, focusing on the NWSL, and Marissa Jemmy, sports writer with the San Francisco Chronicle. Love to hear from you. Are you a soccer parent? What are your hopes for your soccer playing Kid, are you going to be watching this World Cup with them? You want them to go pro? <laughs> Give us a call. The number is eight six six seven three three six seven eight six. That's eight six six seven three three six seven eight six. The email is forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, threads. We're KQED Forum. You know, Theo, I wanted to ask you about the relationship between the women's national team now and and our, our soccer league, you know, are the performances that people are sort of putting in um, in the pro league, how, how much of an impact are they having on the selection of players for the for the national team?
4: I think it's a really interesting question. It's something, as someone who covers the NWSL very closely, something I really fascinate about is sort of how important is, is club versus country or sort of your bread and butter, your everyday work. How, how does that get you where, you know, the merit system that we all imagine we have and, and how much does your past kind of victories with, with the national team carry you over? And the answer, Alexis, is it, it is sort of still an imperfect science. You know, you're going to have your Kelly O'Hara's and your Megan Rapinos um probably get on the team for stuff they did a few years ago, whereas other players are gonna have to work much harder. I think the ultimate example is, is Lynn Williams, uh, arguably the greatest forward in the history of the NWCL at 30 years old. This is their first World Cup. You know, how did that happen? Yeah. But you had people like Carly Lloyd who maybe didn't need to perform in the league because they had a relationship with a coach that said, hey, you know, when I put you in the stars and stripes, I know what I get. And so I think that's a really interesting thing for, for, to kind of happen over time. And, and the key thing, really, that maybe is where we're seeing the change in relationship is in 2022, the National Women's Soccer League signed its first collective bargaining agreement, which helped relinquish U.S. Soccer Federation's relationship with the league. Whereas before 2022, U.S. Soccer actually paid the salaries of the mm-hmm. national team players when they were with their clubs. So, for example, you know, Bay FC wouldn't need to pay um, A Carly Lloyd or, or Megan Rapinoe, the, the the US Soccer Federation would 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 pick up mm. the check. So that more autonomy, that more investment, that sort of you know come and and pay this player, make them work hard at the club, has sort of changed that relationship, whereby. The Fed, the, the national team, maybe doesn't feel like a club that you kind of have to get into, and then once you're into, you can stay in. You have to keep working, and I think that 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 autonomy, that change of investment, has been absolutely huge. Yeah. And and you're seeing Savannah Demello now uh, really work hard to get on that uh, on that pitch. You know, she's been Player of the Month twice. She's been absolutely fantastic for you know a smaller community in, in Louisville, but she's earned her place, and and she's probably knocked out someone who had done a lot more in a U.S. jersey, Ashley Hatch. And and that's what we want to see. We want to see people playing week in, week out, working hard, and getting on that team. And like I said, it's not a perfect science, but you're seeing you're seeing these things happen. And it, and it's taken a long time as well. I think you know Danielle, you, you'll think back to someone like Shannon Box, right? Shannon Box, 2003. Yep. You know, the last player before Savannah Dimello to get that World Cup um, squad place without a cap. She had this phenomenal Team of the Year season with the New York Power. Hmm. The league dissolves. And you know, she she may not have turned pro if she hadn't had the New York power and got onto the national team and become a legend, got 190 caps and won a World Cup. So the league is crucial to building these stars and earning their places. Talking about women's
3: soccer ahead of the start of the 2023 World Cup, joined by Theo Lloyd Hughes, a soccer journalist, Marissa and Jamie, sports trader with the San Francisco Chronicle and Danielle Slayton, co-founder of Bay fc we're going to be taking some more of your calls are you who you rooting for how are you going to watch the games all that kind of stuff the number is 866-733-6786 forum at kqed.org i'm alexis madrigal stay tuned for more right after the break
0: support for forum comes from san francisco opera
3: I hope everyone likes Forum's new theme song. Uh, <laughs> that is um, actually an incredible uh, Nike ad uh, about Megan Rapino. I mean, it is incredible. Uh, Marissa and Jamie, have you seen? You've seen this ad? Oh I my
1: should. gosh, yeah. yeah, it's incredible.
3: Probably like a hundred times. I mean, it's like I so, love it. It's so good, and I—I I mean, it's one of the best advertisements I think I've ever seen. Um, so interesting. Um, we are talking women's soccer 2023 World Cup begins tomorrow Joined by Marissa and Jamie Sportswriter With The Chronicle Theo Lloyd-Hughes Who covers uh, the NWSL as a journalist And Danielle Slayton Co-founder of Bay FC, TV soccer analyst Also a former member of the U.S. Uh, squad let's, um, let's go back to the phones for one sec Payam uh, in Sunnyvale
5: Hey, how's it going?
3: Hey, good. Thanks for joining us.
5: Yeah, we're super excited about the World Cup and the Bay FC coming to the Bay Area. We live in the San Jose area. I, I coach uh, high school soccer, and we have a six-month-old baby girl, and people have been asking me if when she starts playing, if I'll be coaching her, and I'm yeah. not sure how to quite answer that question for the
3: <laughs> What if she doesn't want to play, man? I don't know. It seems like a, a difficult thing. I thought my kids would love playing soccer, and it uh, turns out no. Um,
8: yeah, absolutely. I, I I would
5: love to see her give it a shot. If she enjoys it, great. If she doesn't, no pressure. I'd love to go to her games. I'm sure she'll be coming to mine. I mean, she she won't have much of a choice since I
4: <laughs> I coach and we run a big
5: tournament. So <laughs> um, that's
3: cool. How are you going to watch the games? Are you going to watch at home, or are you like planning something?
5: Uh, probably just at home. Invite some people over. Uh, my whole family loves watching soccer. We're, we're big fans, so I think we'll probably just watch it at home, maybe go to some viewing parties or something as, uh, like you know, San Pedro Square in San Jose or so. Yeah, yeah. Cool.
3: Well, hey, thank you so much. Uh, appreciate that. Best of luck to our uh, future pro, your uh, daughter. Uh, <laughs> I uh, People are really excited about this team, Danielle Slayton. Um, do you want to – tell us anything more can you reveal anything more about things about the team like for, for example i've heard a lot about the training facility that you all are putting in
7: yeah um i mean i think the the the, the high level and the, the the big thing i think i can convey uh at this point um is the fact that this is the biggest ever investment uh 125 million dollars in women's professional soccer to date um and so we got to give credit to Sixth Street, who has come in as our lead investor um, and really infused uh, the resources into this sport that, quite frankly, me and Brandy and Allie and Leslie have been talking about for the last 30 years. And so to finally uh, see people start to understand um, what we feel like we've been screaming from the mountaintops for so long um, is just really rewarding, and I'm grateful for it. Um, I think that, you know, we certainly are at an inflection point. You know, we're talking about the women's world cup on forum. Holy moly. Like <laughs> that's a big deal. Right. And and the fact that women's soccer has gained the traction that it has in recent years, I think is massive. And we're seeing that at, at, um, at a national team level. And now also as Theo has been talking at a, um, at a club level. And so to me, we're building a a training facility, a temporary training facility right now, but with the eyes toward building a world-class women's training facility that is on par with what you would see in the NBA or the NFL or, you know, major league baseball. That's, that's how ambitiously we're thinking about it. Um, And, and really building a place and a facility that has women and women's sports at its core and at its heart and being player centric in that way. So, you know, we might not have a barbershop. We might, but we also might have a daycare. Like those are the conversations (laughs) and the things that we're thinking about of what's important to our players, what's important to women to be successful. How are they going to come here um, and thrive? And then also too, how are we thinking about what it's going to be beyond their soccer playing days. I think yeah. I can speak personally that the transition out of sport was tremendously difficult for me, mm. and figuring out what that next level of my life was going to be like was really, really hard. And so we have that in mind already. That these players aren't just coming to us to to give us, you know, their their hearts and minds and bodies to kick soccer, but how are we supporting them in their transition out of the game, mm. um, and hopefully keep them around, but in a in a different kind of capacity.
3: Why is it so hard?
7: Uh, I, I think it, um, for me, I ended my career with injury. Um, but I mm. think it was really like the loss of identity. So I don't, I never saw myself as like a girl who played soccer. I was a soccer player. Mm. And that's how, what I saw myself as for 20 years. And so when I wasn't that anymore, uh, I kind of felt lost. I didn't know yeah. what to do. And then the challenge for me was I think I was kind of applying the wrong tools to figure that out. Like, turns out you can't just suck it up, work harder, like do all of these things that you're expected to do as a soccer player with your feelings. Like that doesn't work so well. (laughs) And so (laughs) it took me a little bit to learn those other tools that I had to like process and grieve and go through the loss of that. And eventually I found my way back. Um, But it was a really hard transition for me. And i don't think I'm alone um, in that process. I think you're hearing more and more players across all sports talk about mental health and talk mm-hmm. about you know the, the challenges that come along with it as a player, and then also in your post playing career. Um, and so I think uh, us tackling that head on at BFC is certainly something we want to do. Yeah,
3: thanks for sharing that. Appreciate that, um, uh, Daniel in Oakland. Welcome.
2: I just wanted to ask, uh, and thanks to everyone for being there, talking about women's soccer and girls' soccer. Um, I was really impressed with the San Francisco Glens um, and the USLW and uh, the equity they put out there for both their USL2 and USLW teams. And then um, the Oakland-Soul, um, um, S-O-U-L, and uh, so many other teams around the Bay the Bay Area and Northern California. How is USLW going to work uh, in conjunction or be a part of the um kind of the tiers of uh, development for women's soccer for the national team and for, um, possibly the, um, Bay FC and, um, yeah. I yeah, Daniel, great, great question.
3: Up. Great question. Cause yeah, the o- Oakland soul associated with the Oakland roots, um, in, in Oakland. Can we, uh, Daniel, maybe you can take can this one. Yeah. Chance. Like uh, give us just like a little bit of a map. Cause you know, for people out there who maybe haven't been following, you know, the different, uh, women's soccer leagues it might be a little bit confusing
7: yeah so I mean I think the the way that you can kind of think about it a little bit it's not exactly apples to apples comparison but a little bit like major league baseball you have you know your major league you have your your triple a your double a your single a so there's all of these different divisions in the United States um, and leagues have to apply to U.S. soccer the national governing body for wherever they want to fall in whatever division um and as uh, Daniel alluded to, the the Oakland Soul is applying or is part of a new league, the USL Super League, um, that is going to apply for Division One status. So going to be or is on par with what the NWSL is. And so the Oakland Soul is a part of that, I think. For me, the perspective I have is more soccer in the Bay is better. More women playing this sport is better. And the competition is a good thing. I think for us, you know, we're figuring out how we're going to partner, how we're going to work with the soul and the roots to, to amplify and to grow the sport across the Bay Area and beyond. Um, and so for me, I, I do think that there's going to be a, a relationship. We don't know what that relationship is going to look like. Um, but for me, the more soccer, the better, the more competition, the better, because it means our players are getting opportunities. Um, our players are competing and improving and that's what it's all about at the end of the day
3: yeah let's um uh mary's got another question in san francisco about professional soccer league maybe we can throw this one to to you theo mary welcome
9: hi thank you excuse me for taking my call yeah i was just really happy to hear um danielle talk about the investment in the bay fc team i <clears throat> excuse me i have four um kids all of whom play soccer My oldest, uh, 10 years ago, was a big fan of the former women's professional team in the Bay Area, which was the FC Gold Pride, and despite having an incredible roster, including Marta, Christine Sinclair, Shannon Box, Callie O'Hara, Allie Riley, I mean, national stars from all over the world, it couldn't make it financially, Mm. and just to hear about the investment in um, the current version of the women's professional team is so encouraging, and I think it does have to do a lot with um, the women who are now on the national team and how much they have done to grow the sport and not only what they've done on the field, but how they've been such an inspiration to so many with their um, off the field activities as well. Um, And just their advocacy for women and equal pay. And so many, just this morning on social media, I saw that they are doing um, an ad campaign or a, supporting a mental health initiative. Mm. I just feel like they've inspired so many people, girls, boys, soccer players, other athletes, um, not only to be great athletes, but to also use the platform in a way that promotes important causes. So thank you. Hey,
3: Mary, thank you so much. What a great comment. Um, and Theo, I feel like you know what, what comes naturally out of that for me is for you to trace a little bit for us how investment in professional women's soccer has changed Uh, over the years and and where we are with it now.
4: But Before I do get into that, I I would be remiss not to mention Naomi Goma from San Jose, went to Stanford, penned a very beautiful and emotional uh, essay yesterday. It's on the Players' Tribune. You can go and read it. It accompanies what Mary was alluding to with the the common goal mental health uh, outreach and uh, activations the U.S. Women's National Team is doing this summer to make sure there is better mental health uh, support for young athletes uh, in, in the United States. It's, it's it's a really really beautiful campaign, and and to kind of kick it off, Naomi Gummer, uh penned this letter about her former teammate Katie Meyer, the late Katie Meyer, the late great Katie Meyer, um, a former Stanford national champion. So yeah, do go check that out. Uh, I think it's really important. Um, you know, on investment, Daniel might be able to to speak a little bit more from the trenches, but. Um, it's been a rocky road. I think is is the way to is the way to say it. You know, FC Gold Pride. You know, I, we could we could have two forum episodes dedicated to Magic <laughs> Jack in Florida, which was sort of the most bizarre, uh, ludicrous, uh, not so fun experiment in in the history of football. Um, you know, it, it's been a lot of not enough long term thinking, not enough putting the players first. People taking advantage of where they can. People not thinking things through. People not understanding the power and the excellence of female athletes at the end of the day and so what you have is 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 the w which was the first uh women's league which came after the 99 world cup kind of win that only lasts a few seasons then there's the wps that only lasts a few seasons and then you get the nw cell in, in in 2012 kind of picking up the scraps and, and re- rebooting the machine again and and even the nw you know in its 11th season has had a rocky road and that goes for minimum salaries, which now we celebrate. Minimum salaries are up to $36,000 a year, but we'd love to see that keep going, keep climbing. Now we have more maternity care, more mental health support, uh, You know, better pitches, better resources, the physical support top athletes in the world need. I think it's really important to remember that, is that the best play- soccer players in the world play in this country. So you're not you know, you're not getting just any old, you know, elite athlete, you're getting the top, top tier. Um, So it's been, it's been a really rocky road. And and like I said, that goes for, you know, misconduct off the pitch, poor surfaces on the pitch, bad broadcast. I mean, I think, you know, we can all be honest that you watch an NFL broadcast even today, and we would like to see it get even better. I think, you know, we can all admit that, Um, even though, you know, Danielle, you do work in in the league on the broadcasting side and and are a co-founder. So, you know, I'm speaking to the choir here, but, Things can still improve. Things have got better, but we've got thirty years of, of the wrong people mishandling it, and I, I'm, I'm proud to say we're moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But through either lack of investment or a lack of understanding, it's mm-hmm. been it's been a long, long road. Yeah. Good. Um. Couple of
3: a uh, comment here. Uh, Laverne writes in to say many people forget a founding goalie. Of the U.S. team. Her name is Mary Harvey. She played at Cal and was the goalie for the first Women's World Cup in China. Unknown to only a few at the time, she played the majority of the tournament with a badly injured shoulder. I don't think she gets enough credit for her contribution. She was the most competitive and intense player I ever knew. Please give her her due as a founding member of Team USA. That was Mary Harvey. (laughs)
7: Harvey. Is amazing. She is incredible. She's gone on to do incredible work. She worked at FIFA for a while. She is now a strong advocate for players' rights globally. And so, heck yeah! Whoever that was, I <laughs> love that you like went deep cut on Mary Harvey. That yeah, great.
3: Laverne, Laverne was Laverne. there for us um, uh, Forum you, Hall of Fame, Forum yeah.
4: Hall of Fame, Laverne.
3: Yes, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> um, let's bring in uh, Sean in uh, San Jose. Welcome. Hi. Um,
5: Women's soccer is incredibly popular in the Bay Area. When there are games, say at uh, PayPal, um, they generally sell out. They women's teams get butts in seats. So uh, you know, if uh, Earthquake Foundation is listening or Wondolowski, anybody, <laughs> um, I think that um, one of the, I think that some of the reasons that people aren't familiar with um, American soccer is they see the violence, you know, in games, you know, overseas. Yeah. Uh, it's not like that at PayPal. Uh, you rarely even hear somebody swearing. It's <laughs> very family-friendly. There's good food choices. But um, uh, we need to make these, uh, these stadiums walkable. It's a problem <laughs> in San Jose, which is a reason why a lot of people don't yeah. want to go down and make the trip. Yep. Um, so we we need to do our we need to do our best to uh build some healthy infrastructure so that people can get to the games and then get and out to help in a reasonable hour.
3: Hey, Sean, thank you so much uh, for that. Um, Marissa and Jemmy, that's like a, a perfect lead-in for you as a sports writer with the San Francisco Chronicle. Of what you're looking forward to, you know, in uh, women's Bay Area soccer, you know, the World Cup's obviously going to bring, you know, an infusion of interest. What what happens after that, you think?
1: I just want to say first, like, to that caller, so true about infrastructure. I don't have a car and I'm getting everywhere and I would still love for— it to be a lot more walkable at a lot of these places. Um, so, yeah, shout out about that. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, what Bay FC is going to bring um, as a women's soccer professional team here is... is is. Unique in coming at a unique time, I think, um, because we've seen just like what's happening with the Oakland A's and just kind of like how fans there are feeling pretty bad. We've seen the Raiders leave. We've seen the Warriors um, switch over to San Francisco. Um, we've in women's sports really hasn't had the presence in the Bay outside of um, college teams. WNBA isn't here yet. I know a lot of people would like that. Um, so like the audience is there it's been I I know that because people email me and call me and tweet at me like every single day about what they would like to see um and I'm always really curious like what fans are looking for and from people I've talked to from uh conversations I had even at the women's national team game in San Jose at PayPal a few weeks ago or last week I guess um yeah. People are just kind of looking for accessibility. They want to be able to get to stadium. They want to be able to watch the games. Uh, the merch already from BFC has been incredible and people are excited about that. They People know what the logo means already, which is really cool to see. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I I think this is going to be a learning experience for everyone because we kind of don't know what we want to see yet because we haven't really seen that exist yet here in the Bay as far as a pro women's sports team. Women's sports at a professional level are treated differently than even like five years ago. I went to Boston Breakers games um, in Boston, the NWSL team that ceased operations I think in 2018 or 2019 and then I went to an Angel FC game a few weeks ago and I was like wow it's different now
3: different. Yeah. yeah I
1: was just had the WNBA All-Star game and I was like oh this is not the Washington Mystics game I went to in 2016 yeah, yeah. like just seeing that progress like I-, I think that we're almost even underselling what we want to see so I-, I think this next year is going to be um, really important for us to kind of make those um, those decisions and-, and really understand what we have here
3: we have been talking about women's soccer trying to get you everything you need to know before the 2023 world cup begins and the bay fc starts playing next year we've been joined by marissa and jemmy sports writer with the san francisco chronicle thanks so
1: much thank you
3: we've also been joined by theo lloyd hughes a soccer journalist focusing on the nwsl thank you theo my pleasure thank you so much and the legend danielle slayton co-founder of bay fc also a former member of the u.s women's soccer team thank you so much for joining us
7: Thanks, Alexis. Have a
3: good one. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim.
9: Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation.